The Amazing Bulk will not be presented this evening. It's not a huge loss. It's not a very good movie. No, 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 no. No, Dottie, I think we can get away with it. If it's under 10 seconds, it technically counts as sampling. Uh, that's it. I'm turning back. I know your family's waiting. I know it's an important day. All right, we'll give it a try. I'll set short coordinates. We won't jump far. I'll get you back there in time, Dottie. Trust me. Our only hope now is to outrun that giant but legally distinct evil space cruiser. I'm going to light speed. That's the spirit. You'll be celebrating life day before you know it. Stand by. Here's where we say goodbye to our unpleasant friends. Welcome to the Knife Drop Holiday Special. Or, Episode 8. This episode, we're getting festive with it. Coming up, we've got a Yuletide Shark movie on Terror Tuesday. I'll tell you a little bit about how a lesser-known Frank Sinatra film connects to one of the greatest Christmas movies of all time. But first, in the spirit of the holiday season, we have... What else? A rerun. Some time ago, I used to host another podcast called 10 Minutes About Your Favorite Movie. Here's one of my favorite episodes about a Christmas classic. Here are the rules. One of my friends gives me a list of five movies that they love. Then I choose one of them, and then we hit the timer for 10 minutes. This is 10 Minutes About Your Favorite Movie. Hello, everybody. I am Rob, and welcome back to 10 Minutes About Your Favorite Movie. Um, you may notice that we are not uh, that uh, we are not actually at the Froth House today. We are now uh, in wonderful Fridley, Minnesota. Yeah. Is that where we are? Yep. Friendly, yeah. Fridley. Friendly, Fridley. Uh, and I am here now with my friend Melissa Mapes. Hello, Melissa. Hi, Rob. How are you? I'm all right. Uh, I hear you prefer Mel. Uh, whatever you yeah. feel comfortable right. with. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. What you, right. <laughs> at any rate, your top five movies here are Groundhog Day. A Few Good Men, Best Years of Our Lives, Grumpy Old Men, and my lips bleeding, Bert. We're going to talk about It's a Wonderful Life today. <laughs> you can read more about Mel in our show notes. Um, but first, we're going to maybe turn off my phone so that uh, people don't text me during it. Um, <laughs> but first, in 30 seconds or less, Mel, what is It's a Wonderful Life? It's a Wonderful Life is about a guy named George Bailey who lives in a small town of Bedford Falls. I'm not sure. Is it New York? might be New York. Um, And it channels, it starts with him as a kid. Well, basically it starts with an angel talking to another angel because there's a guy who's in trouble and lots of people are praying for him because something's happened and he needs help. So they give him, they give the angel the backstory of his life and it goes through him as a kid and all the way through basically present day, which is like 1946. And Oop, that's 30 seconds. Oh, no. Oh, no. It is less time. But that's okay. We can get into more of the nuts and bolts and, and what ha- have you about it. I hope we don't spoil It's a Wonderful Life for anybody in the audience. But first, uh, now, why do you love this movie? I love It's a Wonderful Life because I've seen it a thousand times. I saw oh. it when I was 12, and my I borrowed my grandparents' colorized version, VHS, to watch uh. it. And it was just so good. It has so much in it. There's a love story. Mm-hmm. There's, like, it's funny. There's characters. Mm-hmm. There's, like, a family. There's 
World War II stuff. It's just, it's got it all. It's kind of three movies worth of movie. It is. It's a least. lot. And yeah. it takes place at Christmas, but not really. So right. people think it's a Christmas movie. So it sort of is. Right. And then it's also heavily featured in Home Alone, which I really <laughs> dug as a kid. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, and that's, it's funny because I was reading somewhere probably cracked uh, that like the, uh, uh, one of the reasons why it's been known as like sort of a, ah, it's a Christmas movie is because it was like, it was kind of a box office failure when mm-hmm. it came out. So it was really, really cheap to get the rights to show it on right. regular TV. Mm-hmm. And so it just got shown at Christmas because if you're, nobody's watching TV, it's Christmas. They're with their right. families. And it just became this thing mm-hmm. that uh, uh, that all of us, I think it's it's almost like you're, as to, to quote the ref, you know, you can't even live in this country. <laughs> Yeah. And, and not have seen uh-huh. it's, it's a wonderful true. life it's it's kind of it's kind of a big thing and it's interesting that you mentioned the thing about how like you know we start we start with um you know with the angel being given the backstory mm-hmm. um there's a theory going around about the movie that that part where with uh, clarence being given the backstory was something that they added later on oh really and that the movie just starts with this is George Bailey's life, where it's just where they just kind of show you his life, mm. and then somewhere in its second hour, a freaking angel shows up, <laughs> and, and, the, and the and the audience and the, and and the audience looking at it just sort of went, why is there an angel showing up? <laughs> well, that would make. I mean, the whole backstory part mm-hmm. in and the narration and the way they can cut through it that right. makes that whole part. I mean, right? It it honestly sort of loses me usually when the angel shows up, like mm. when. You know, George is on the bridge and he's, you know, he's figured out that he's worth more dead than alive and he's going to kill himself. That is usually where it goes south for me because Mm. I don't like the alternative universe Bedford Falls. Like Mm. it's very depressing and it's not as cheery. And I feel like it takes forever. (laughs) And then it's very happy at the end and it's worth it to sit through it because then, you know, then come the happiness and the tears and everything that Mm. happens at the end of the movie. So it's fine. But as a kid, I would usually stop it once Clarence showed up and then rewind it to the beginning and watch the backstory part of it. Because you get the dance, the school dance, and they fall in the pool and they sing Buffalo Girls. It's just, it's good. And it's so funny because I think when, whenever, whenever I think, people think back on this movie they usually think it's like oh yeah it starts and george bailey's on a bridge and it's like yeah. and it's like because like every parody that's ever done of this movie yep. it always starts with george already on the bridge yeah but it takes forever to get to uh-huh. that point like it there's does. a whole movie that mm-hmm. happens before it even gets there i mean well <laughs> and and that whole part what's what's interesting i always thought or like looking at it now it's a little bit like I didn't realize it when I was a kid, but george is basically miserable his entire life mm. and they don't make any they don't try to change that at all. Like right. he has successful friends that go off and travel. And when they come back and tell him what he's doing, he mm. actually kicks a car door shut. He's so upset. Right. Like <laughs> there is at no point is anyone in that town unaware of the fact that George's life is a huge disappointment and it's all of their fault. Well, like <laughs> they're the reason. Yeah, Bedford Falls is a town full of codependent frauds. They are. And like, yeah, they are. <laughs> It, it is amazing. It's like because one person isn't born, the whole place. The whole place just they yeah. change. It's now Pottersville and like right. Mr. You know, and two like that old man is just a rich old man, right? But they make him in the alternate Bedford Falls, like because he owns the town. There's like strip clubs and like, like everybody else has also just gone straight down, straight downhill, and, right? You know, <laughs> there's there is there is kind of an amusing idea of like how. How 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 much thin ice 
could Bedford Falls really have been on yeah. if it only to if only one, one man, man was yep. willing to stand up yep. against the penguin like advances of <laughs> <laughs> of Lionel Barrymore, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> of like yeah. one insurance guy yep. who apparently was enough yep. to topple an entire town. Yep. So, <laughs> um, and and I feel sorry for anybody who actually has the last name of Potter and works in insurance. No that's, kidding, right? <laughs> that's a joke just for me. Um, <laughs> but at any, but I, I think. Do you have a favorite scene overall? Movie you mentioned. Um, the, you mentioned the swimming pool scene. Which... I love the school dance because mm-hmm. well, and it's partly too because when I first watched it with my mom that was her favorite scene because Mm -hmm. she likes when everybody stops and is watching them because the floor is opening and they don't realize it right and George looks at Mary and says they're staring at us we must be good and she just (laughs) loves that line so much Mm -hmm. because why else would they be staring at I mean that's what you do at a dance is everybody watches the best couple right and then they fall in and he still tries to dance with her even after they've fallen in but then it leads to them walking home and she's in the road the Bedford Falls high school robe and he's in the football uniform that's too big for him. Right. And they first throw the rocks and it's just that whole that whole scene is probably the best. But yeah. then his father dies and he doesn't get to go to college or he doesn't get to travel. Uh-huh. And then he they they flash forward to he's supposed to leave for school. He's already a week late, but you know, they're gonna close the building alone if he doesn't stay to run it. Which what a <laughs> bunch of assholes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, there is, I mean, there's that whole thing about it. It's like, you know, where it's like, oh, I was kind of hoping that you'd stick around, you know, to maintain yeah. a family. Really, I yeah. kind of thought I'd have my own life and my own goddamn oh, right. problems. Yeah. Dude. And so and the look, on, <laughs> look on Jimmy Stewart's face when they're like, they'll vote with Potter otherwise. And it's just this like, bum, bum, bum. And it's just stricken because he knows he's never going to leave right. ever. And then he sort of begrudgingly agrees to marry. I mean, I think he loves Mary, but right. you know, that's not the life he wanted and she I think is reminded of that every day too. And those kids, <laughs> they could not have done a worse job casting those kids. I mean, like there's just no planet that those are their kids, but I kinda, whatever. I, I kind of feel like this is cinema sins, but, yeah. for, but, for, <laughs> but for, it's a wonderful life. I mean, there are so many wonderful things about yes, this movie. Yeah, there's yep. so many great yeah, things about yep, it. Yep. Oh, I mean, it's it is fun to like, you know, and and one of the reasons I think why why it's so easy to 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 pick on everything that's wrong with it is because for some reason, yeah, you do end up seeing this movie a whole lot you of times. Do. It's it's always on, or yeah. especially when we were kids. I feel like it was it was you know and it was public domain, so NBC showed it. I swear every weekend, mm-hmm. and that's how I ended up seeing it for the first time. Was it was on again and again and again and again. Right. And I finally told somebody. I don't know if it was my mom or my grandma or somebody. Like I've never actually seen this movie, and I was twelve, I think. And whoever it was was just like, how have you not seen this movie? Right. Well, have you shown it to me? Because I'm 12. And <laughs> it's up to you to make sure I see things like this now. So, And, and I, I did then, so, and I loved it. But Right. And I remember when, um, when the colorized version first came mm-hmm. out. I think somebody gave me the colorized version mm-hmm. uh, for Christmas because it was in like a $2 bin. And, um, you know, like, and just the fact that I owned it made a friend of mine like just livid. <laughs> yeah. Just like yeah. livid. It's like, how dare you, sir? Mm-hmm. Like, well, I, I figure I can just turn the color down, turn the color off on my TV set if I watch it. It's like, you'd better! Because there's, you know, <laughs> but it's like, but the thing is, is like, he's kind of right, though. He I is, mean, it's yeah. like, you know, he's absolutely right. The, mm-hmm. If they wanted to make this movie in color, the technology did exist to make it in absolutely. color if they absolutely yep. wanted to. There's so much wonderful black and white photography uh-huh. um, in the film. That, that's the reason actually why I like the whole like Pottersville segment of the movie is because like, you know, it gets very film noir like. It does. It's sudden, very dark all of a sudden. You know, like, like yeah. the genre of the movie mm-hmm. changes mm-hmm. entirely. And I kind of yep. like the eviler versions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
of the characters. I, I think it's interesting that like she apparently again, if George Bailey hadn't had uh, if George Bailey had not been born. There would have been nobody for her. Nope. At Mary all. Was She's, an old yeah, there was nobody. She was an old man. What a dog, also, am I right? Yeah, and she doesn't wear any makeup and she's got glasses all of a sudden, so it would have also affected right. her eyesight. Right. <laughs> it just, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. And then, too, the fact that this guy is calling her name in the street, like, you know, Mary, Mary, he's so passionate about it, she actually faints. She just is so uncomfortable with the idea of a man right. within five feet of her that yeah. she just screams and passes out. Yeah, she turns into a fainting goat when yep. somebody calls her name. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Which, again, maybe that yep. explains why the bad eyesight it's and why true. she can't land a man. It's true. Is that yeah. she's just not used to men mm-hmm. calling her name. It's it's like yeah, <laughs> what a biz- what a bizarre weakness. Yeah, what a bizarre right? kryptonite yeah. to actually yeah. have. All right, we have forty seven more seconds left. Anything else we want to say about this movie? Um, it's it's. It's great. Mm-hmm. I'll watch it anytime I can. I see it in the theater every year when it comes out again at Christmas, and mm. I always cry at the end. And I yeah. can. I once made my grandma sit with me in the kitchen at their house, and I recited to her the entire first half of the movie verbatim. <laughs> I've seen it that many times. Yeah. And if anybody thinks it's stupid, like it's so cliche and it's so part of our culture at this point that people just sort of dismiss it, I feel like, but it is really, really good. No. And I feel like if you haven't seen it, eh, you should definitely see it. Yeah, I, mean, absolutely. It's like, I don't know how you've avoided it, but yeah. yeah. I mean, it's amazing if you have, and please, for God's sake, don't, don't remake it. Paradise it. <laughs> yes. Don't remake it for no, crying out loud. No. And boom, we're done. Thank you. We're out of time. Ho, ho, everybody. Ho, ho, ho. Yeah, we're right in the middle of the holiday season, presumably. Presumably it's also snowing and cold out. Well, we're in here today. And you know what, guys? For Terror Tuesday, I brought you a special movie. Possibly the finest film that has ever been made, maybe. Okay. Yeah, that's right. What is it, Rob? What is it? Something that combines the horror and terror and suspense of a shock movie. And also imbibes us with the Christmas and or holiday spirit. You know what I'm talking about? That's right. I'm talking about mother f***ing Santa Jaws, bitches. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our special holiday episode of Terror Tuesday. Uh, the movie uh, we watched was, in fact, as you heard, Santa Jaws, which is available on uh, Movie Spree uh, Streaming Network, which is uh, the movie that we all watched. Hey, uh, let's say, by the way, let's say hi to our typical Terror Tuesday crew. Say hello, Jen. Bah humbug. Say hello, Buck. Happy Hanukkah. <laughs> <laughs> and a Joyce Kwanzaa uh, tip top tat. Oh. Say hello. And Joe, say hello. Help, I'm being held against my will. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, have... That's the kind of festive holiday mood this movie has put us in. <laughs> Just... And, uh, <laughs> yes. Have a solemn, dignified Ramadan. I love um, it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's it. Good night, everybody. All right. Well, that okay. kind of says it all, doesn't it? All right. It? So Santa Jaws, which we, which one of the things I think, one of the reason why we wanted to watch this one 
is that back when we were doing uh, The 31 Nights of Fright, this was one of the movies that was on the list, and we just wondered what it could possibly be. Because... A Christmas-themed shark movie. Right. How irresistible is that? (laughs) And we were like... And we we even mused at the beginning. uh, uh, Well, here, I don't even have to tell you what we mused at. Here, you can can, can just hear it right now. I want to see a shark killed with a Christmas tree shoved down its gullet. Gosh, I hope that happens. I, I would not be at all surprised. Okay, so let's all make little predictions now of things that we think might happen. Because okay, we know that's, nothing that's about That's mine, I guess. That's that, yours. That that's... A shark is going to get like impaled on a Christmas tree shoved down its gullet. Right. Whether or not that actually kills it is another deal. But right. uh, My prediction, I think... Oh, yeah, uh, another thing that's... Uh, I actually will... It's one of the categories here that there will be sleigh bells on the soundtrack and, and soundtrack music in some way. Oh, yeah. I feel like that's a thing that'll probably happen very early. Uh, but more specific plot-wise, I'm hoping that a Santa, like somebody, like a Santa gets eaten by a shark. Mm. So I feel like that's a thing that's got to happen. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I think s- your odds are great. You yeah. almost spelled mine. Mm? Um, I was going to say someone dressed up as an elf. Ooh. Oh. Oh, also, okay, then I'll change mine. Drunk Santa. There will be a drunk, be drunk Santa eaten mm-hmm. by a shark. There will be, or at least a drunk Santa. When isn't there a drunk Santa? That's true. There's always a drunk Santa. In every Christmas movie, there's got to be a drunk Santa. I predict that the main bad shark mm. will be visited by three shark spirits. <laughs> getting getting the shark to take Christmas more seriously. Right. Okay. And it ends um, with the shark asking an orphan boy for a turkey. Right. Now, this well, I, is made. Okay. My new prediction mm-hmm. is I would love it for, to be a shark, but a shark or someone running away from a shark gets tangled up in Christmas lights. Oh. Ooh. Whoa. Back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whoa. It's, it's, like, like, it's like it was a time jump. Yeah. Of, yeah. Wow. That was weird. Yeah. Can we cross that off our bingo cards Yeah. Now? Time jump. Time jump. We can cross the time jump out of it. Um, so yeah, I think, but I do think at one point we even mused, hey, is it going to be about a shark that wears a that Santa hat? wears a Santa hat. That'd be silly. Wouldn't that be funny? It's wrapped if, in Christmas lights. If, and... Yeah, mm-hmm. wouldn't it be funny if that's what it was? And guess what, folks? Josh, get her something to cover up. It was a thin, big, red fin. I don't know. It was, it looked like Santa, like Santa's Wait, what did you see? That's, That's what, what it was, about. yeah. And even more. Mm-hmm. It has glowing the, red eyes like has, Rudolph. Like Rudolph. Mm-hmm. And the candy cane narwhal. Well, eventually, don't spoilers. Yeah. No spoilers. Yeah. Sorry. Yes, eventually. They're... It was a beautiful sight, though. <laughs> it's everything you want in a... Yeah. In a Christmas shark movie. There's a little bit... Of, there's a tiny little bit of uh, uh, of Home Alone kind of thing yeah, there Yeah, yeah, well, very much. The... With the precocious kid, even going so far as to have, like, the whole uh, impetus for the whole movie to start is because he tries to wish his family away. Cody, you better be in bed. Can't stand her. You don't care about me. No one has my back. I'm better off alone. Isn't that right, Santa Jones? Only instead of all of them, like, you know, going on a European trip and leaving him behind, uh, they are all eaten one by one by a, a shark. 
So right. it's more like what a bloodthirsty 12-year-old really would wish upon his family, not right. just, oh, you're all going off, off to Paris without me. Right. Um, <laughs> you'll get eaten by a shark, and then you'll be sorry. Yeah. Nobody seems all that upset by anybody who gets killed because it's, it's not true. that kind of movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't, yeah, you don't watch Santa Jaws for, like, the emotional involvement. Oh, the shark, yeah. Yeah! Also, that guy died. <laughs> um, like, uh, although there are, for some strange reason, a whole lot of inspirational speeches, and they're all like in a row. I wish that thing into existence. I don't know. I guess I was just angry. What are you talking about, son? I drew her, and she came to life. And now she's hunting everyone in our family down. No. This is not your fault, all right? Hey, this is classic global warming. Non-indigenous species roaming into unfamiliar territories. It happens all- You are not listening to me. That is not a shark. That is Santa John's. It's Santa John's. Just listen to him. What we need to do is we need to get inland and contact the authorities. What does this look like to you? Look a little familiar? I know her! I made her! That is her! Now you can either help me, or I can do this myself! Yeah, they they, they, tend, they take a break like 45 minutes in to say, Oh, well, you've got to face your fears, and this is this is all about making your way in the world, and, and it's like they, they get all of their lessons out of the way yeah. in like a 10-minute stretch of movie, and then it's back to the yeah. shark hunting. Yeah. Go easy on your mom. She had, she used she had a be, rebellious streak. She was a rebellious streak, and then you see her with this big, like, tinsel-cladden crossbow. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like we didn't see enough of her with a rebellious streak. That was I more know, of a no, right? that, yeah. that, that would have been more satisfying. Yeah, that was more of yeah. a survivalist kind of a thing. I mean, we didn't have a scene where like, like the shark like ripped off part of her shirt, and you saw like like she had this like you've had tattoo. a Ramones tattoo all this yeah. time. Yeah, you know, oh my yeah. god, mom! Yeah. What haven't you told me? Uh, being a mom who has had a rebellious life. Um, my son is fully aware of that, and I think most people who have had rebellious lives would let their kids know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah that makes you it's the cool safe. mom. It stays Come with on. you. Um, yeah. yeah, cool yeah. mom, bad parenting. Mm. Eh. Yeah. Um. <laughs> this is not the kind of movie, really, that, I mean, we make these jokes, but we don't really care. Like, no. you know, like, no. you know, and that's why I loved it. Well, I, the, here's the thing. Here's the thing that, that has to be said about it is that, you know, sometimes when, you know, like, cause the joke I made after the movie was over was, well, I don't know what I was expecting because like, that's the thing is like when you first hear the, when you first hear the, the, the name of the movie, Unlike, you know, some movies, you know, like Piranha, you know, or like, you know, or Killer Clowns from Outer Space, you know, yeah. see some killer clowns and they will be from space, you know, whereas in the case of like Santa Jaws, like, I feel like the title existed before the movie did. Oh, absolutely. And they worked uh, their way back from the title. Right. As like, what would that be? And and that's the thing as well. I guess it's this. And I guess we should probably talk a little bit about what the movie is actually about per se um cody who's a uh young 
a kid who's a comic book artist is written a comic a book. A misfit. A misfit. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he and his friend have written a comic book uh, called Santa Jaws, which seems that to be... Cody is the artist and yeah. his friend is the is the author or the writer. Right. And the comic itself seems to be about, uh, you know, like a, a tough cop who plays by his own rules who's fighting against this serial killing guy who dressed like Santa... Who then gets uh, like eaten by a shark that becomes so it's Santa a Jaws vigilante shark. Yeah, it's a little yeah. bit. Yeah, it's a little bit like uh, Jack Frost, not the Michael Keaton one, but no. the other one about the killer snowman. Um, seems like uh, where where it doesn't matter what that one was about, but it, it like the, the <laughs> <laughs> it really doesn't. I really, no, it really no. doesn't. I mean, that one just involved a serial killer that became a snowman, and this one we have a serial killer who becomes a shark. Wearing Santa Claus hat, so they're both. But uh, then we then we hear the backstory of of Santa Jaws, right? And and it doesn't match up with that at all. No, so, no. So there are at least two different origin stories for Santa Jaws. Yeah, and they have nothing to do with each yeah. other. Another one of these. There are a lot of these. All these shark movies because there's a bunch of shark movies. And I looked up uh, the director of this movie directed like a bunch of other shark movies, some of which are also available. In the shark bait pack, um, oh, no. yeah, it's true. Uh, yeah, so the other, yeah, so the other movies that uh, uh, Misty Tally uh, has directed are uh, Ozark Shark, is one of them, uh, Alligator Alley, and Mississippi River Sharks. Yes, Shark Island. This woman knows sharks, is what I'm getting at. Cool. I guess. Yeah. And geography. And geography. <laughs> no, that's important. Lots it's a series of 50. Yeah. It's actually a series of 50 shark movies where where every yeah. every state in the union is going to get their own shark movie. Yeah. Indiana yeah. shark is going to be very hard to do since Indiana yeah. is almost completely landlocked. There's just a little bit of Lake Michigan up but at the top. But you see, you got Lake Michigan there. So yeah, of course. Why not? Okay, well, fine. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So it just it's kind of limited. I mean, where are you gonna get sharks in Chicago? Mm. Pool like... rooms. Yeah. But anyway, anyway, okay. um, <laughs> payday loan <laughs> officer. So I mean, I guess overall, like you know, it, it, overall the movie itself, uh, the movie itself is uh, <laughs> is uh, to say that it is silly doesn't quite say it. Oh, but... <laughs> It is. It's cute. That's, it's yeah. silly. Yeah, it's it cute, is silly. silly. And it's I mean, PG. It's worth yeah. mentioning that it's actually PG. You can bring the kids to this, weirdly enough. Um, yes, people get eaten by sharks. But it's okay. Nobody it's really okay. cares. Nobody really cares. I mean, there's elves who get eaten by sharks. <laughs> yeah, there's that one guy what? dressed like no. that drunken elf who, who gets... Who turns out to yeah. be the stunt coordinator for the movie. Right. So, so, so that was his, his cameo. The best part about that is that the shark like rather meanly like crippled him. Prior to yeah. eating him, like the, yeah, the shark, the shark rams a boat into him and cuts him off at the knees. Yeah, literally cuts him off at the knees, and, and then, he, then eats him. And then eats him after he, for some reason, gets up on his bloody stumps and like hobbles towards and hobbles the towards saying, them. Oh, yeah, awesome. my legs! Yeah. My legs! This really hurts because I'm literally <laughs> walking on on my bare stumps. bone. Yeah. 
why would I do this? <laughs> no, the characters were over the top. Right. I mean, they were comic book characters. Right. right. Each character, each character had one personality trait. Right. Mm-hmm. There's a woman who who is like a a an internet meme influencer person. Right. And and so she talks only in internet speak and memes and right. and she's very tiresome. Right. Cody's and, older brother is a baseball uh, is a baseball player. He's a pitcher. Uh, and so every line of his is like a baseball metaphor, yeah, or that's speech. all they can think of to give him are baseball lines. Right. His friend who writes comics like only kind of speaks in like uh, comic book geek, comic language. book geek, and 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 uh, you know, in a certain amount of movie geek language. The guy at the comic book store. It's a little shady, kind of weird he's guy. He repellent. He's repellent. I think he, he's yeah, repellent. He, he's he's repellent. He is repellent. He's repellent and he, and, on many levels. And, yeah. I mean, who wouldn't want to draw themselves a Russian hooker? I mean, come yeah, on. Yeah, it's true, but he he shows just such limited imagination. Oh, for wait. somebody who who runs a comic book store with are no we, actual comics in it. Are we gonna spoil about the magic? Holy the magic pen. The reason why the <laughs> remember Harold and Santa the purple crayons. Ex- yes. <laughs> hey, we were we were we were uh, we were summing up the movie, weren't we? You like so Cody. Oh boy, uh, we're all over. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't think you can really spoil this movie. With it's, a Santa with a Santa Claus it's so hat. fantastic that it's fun yeah. watching. Is a shark with a Santa Claus hat that comes to life from the comic book. That the main character is created and starts picking off members of the family one by one in various shark and Christmas themed ways. The, the shark is attracted to Christmassy things. Yes. So he's, Somebody he's spills- first, she first shows up when someone spills eggnog in the water. Oh, oh sharks can smell nog in the water. <laughs> a fire in the sky. <laughs> it's a she. Hashtag feminism. Yeah. <laughs> it's strong empowered women sharks. Yes. Go for it. And uh yeah, somebody spills eggnog and Santa Jaws goes nuts. Somebody uh <laughs> somebody spills nuts and Santa goes eggnog. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um someone shows someone spills fruitcake. Uh, and I don't know where I'm going with this. I don't <laughs> and, and by the way, neither did the makers of Santa Claus. <laughs> Pretty much, they're very clearly making this up as they go, and it that's was, fine. It was fun. That's fine. It, it, it fun. is actually kind of a look. I, it's very yeah. silly and fun. We, I, I recommend ridiculous. It. Watch it, please. Look, um, and again, there's no profanity. There's virtually no gore. Um, I mean, you still, you still. People get eaten, but I mean, it's like it's cartoony. Like, it you know, cartoony. it's uh, it's very silly. Um, and uh, uh, some people, I think, could have gotten it worse than they did. Oh, the comic book guy deserved a much worse death. Yeah, than, than he yeah. Got. Oh, yeah. Um, spoilers, spoilers, but uh, spoilers for Santa Jaws. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so at any rate. Um, you know this uh, this segment, by the way, uh, I should have warned you at the very beginning, uh, is uh, is branded content, obviously. <laughs> uh, yeah, here comes branded content. Here comes branded content. Right Break down, down branded content, content lane. lane. Um, so, so that's it. That's Santa Jaws. Any last things we want to say about Santa Jaws before we uh, before we depart into the night? That killed the room. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
candy cane unishark. Candy cane. Candy cane unishark. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. What does that mean? What could it mean? You'll have to watch the movie to find out. You'll have to watch. You'll have to watch Santa Jaws (laughs) on movie spree. It is available and not for much. It's it's awesome. It's awesome. (laughs) Watch it. It's yeah. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about, well, I'm tempted to call it the greatest Christmas movie of all time, despite what some people say. In fact, recently its star has said that it isn't actually a Christmas movie, whether it is or it isn't. We'll get to it in a moment, but its existence on some level is due to a film that came out in 1980, a Frank Sinatra movie called The First Deadly Sin. Frank Sinatra was uh, in his 50s at this point, and he'd been playing a lot of detectives. He was the original choice for Dirty Harry, which he ended up having to turn down because of a wrist injury, I think. At any rate, in 1980's The First Deadly Sin, it was based on a novel, a very popular novel that has gone on to have several uh, sequels since. The First Deadly Sin is based on a book by Lawrence Sanders. It's a police procedural what I guess would be typically called a uh, cop versus serial killer book. Although they weren't really doing a lot of these at the time. In fact, the term serial killer was a reasonably new term in 1980. Frank Sinatra plays NYPD Sergeant Edward Delaney. His wife, played by Faye Dunaway, is dying and in the hospital during the entirety of this. Side note, Faye Dunaway for some reason was nominated for a Razzie Award by the Golden Raspberry people for this movie. I have things I could say about the Golden Raspberry people, but if you take a look at things that they've nominated for rewards and Razzies over time, it's it's very eye-opening. At any rate, the killer in the movie is uh, played by an actor, the late David Dukes, not to be confused with David Duke, which you would not want to have in your movie, I would say. David Dukes is a serial killer. It's not quite a Patrick Bateman kind of situation, or even a Seven sort of situation. Mostly all of his crimes are uh, crimes of opportunity. They're all done with like an ice axe or, uh, you know, like an ice hammer where, you know, he just simply just hits a guy in the back of the head whenever he's walking by them. At any rate, the important thing is that it's more of a character piece. David Dukes is a very, very rich guy, and he knows that he can get away with these crimes, and Frank Sinatra is the street-level cop who's dealing with his dying wife, he's at the end of his rope, and uh, even the confrontation is actually deliberately anticlimactic. It's actually kind of an interesting movie. Full disclosure, I have not seen this movie since I was a really little kid, but the thing about this film is that it is not an action film, it is not a thriller. It's a very much of a slow burn, and as a result, it wasn't quite a hit with the audiences as it could have been. The critics, uh, particularly Roger Ebert, really seemed to like this film, but audiences did not go to it, and Sinatra was a bit crestfallen uh, by it. And as a result, he said, no more starring in movies. Um, just, it's a lot of work, and in the end, not a lot of payoff. Not payoff as far as money is concerned, but just he was hoping for the glory of having, like, really worked hard on a film that, well, not a lot of people saw. He was so crestfallen, apparently, that he turned down uh, what was to be the next movie, a movie he'd, in fact, even commissioned. It was to be another movie based on a book called Nothing Lasts Forever, which was a sequel to a movie, to a book that had also been made into a movie that had done well, named The Detective. 
The Detective was a 1968 movie. It's one of the first rated R films, and it was very much rated R. It was a much more adult film. This is, again, in that whole section of time when he was playing detectives all the time. It's very brutal, very controversial. It had, uh, in addition to having a, a certain level of more uh, controversial material in it, there's, a, I believe, a homosexuality subplot. And, again, full disclosure, I've never seen this movie, but... Detective Joe Leland is considered one of Frank Sinatra's better roles. Again, Sinatra played a lot of detectives. But he uh, would ultimately end up turning this down, even though he had more or less commissioned Roderick Thorpe, uh, writer of The Detective, to write the sequel, Nothing Lasts Forever. He had this idea that we should see Joe Leland again. Now, again, this would be 1980, so Joe Leland would be older, and his daughter would be uh, an adult. So that would be part of what the story was about. Joe Leland, retired now from the police department, is going to visit his daughter, who is now working as an executive at a major company for a Christmas party. But all of a sudden, the building is taken over by terrorists, and you all probably see where this is going. So Sinatra, again, said no. Still smarting over the reaction, the first deadly sin. Said he was done. And as a result, nothing lasts forever went into a drawer where it would remain in that drawer until the mid to late 80s. Joel Silver, a producer who, if you don't know the name, you definitely know his work. Joel Silver uh, was, and still, as far as I know, is a very bombastic producer. He's known for big action, big explosions, lethal weapon, predator, you know, action Jackson. I mean, if it had guns and explosions in it chances are real good this was a joel silver movie if you were watching it in the mid 80s but he wanted a movie that was more or less his own he wanted a product that they could just kind of build from items they already had the rights to so he asked if there was anything that fox already owned any property owns that they can use uh, it being a pre-existing franchise or anything like that well the drawer got opened, and nothing lasts forever. Once Joel Silver read it, went, okay, here we go. We have all of the elements. We've got a bunch of terrorists taking over building. We've got a lone cop, you know, and we can just, you know, kind of make this its, its own movie. Now, they were contractually obligated to ask Sinatra first, who, of course, politely turned it down. So they decided to ask somebody else. They asked Robert Mitchum. Now, you have to understand at this point, the character in the book is much older than John McClane is. Again, Holly, who's named something different in the book, is his daughter. In fact, let's go over a few of the uh, other things in the book that were kind of keeping it from being made originally. Joe Leland is no longer a cop, works somewhat as a private investigator, is still dealing with a level of PTSD. He's a World War II veteran. And he carries his gun, a Browning 9mm high power, for those of you who care, everywhere with him. Uh, he's kept his police credentials so he can carry his gun on the plane. He doesn't like flying, not because he's afraid of flying like John McClane is, but because he's afraid of terrorism. Holly, again, not named Holly in the book, uh, is his daughter. And, spoiler alert, in the book, she dies. You know that scene in the movie where Hans has a gun to Holly's head, and McLean's got the gun taped to his back, and he, like, shoots him, and, she, and he falls out the window, but he grabs her, and he manages to take off the, the 
watch just in time for Hans to fall to his death. That kind of happens in the book, except he doesn't take off the watch in time, and Hans drags Holly all the way to her death. Also, there's a third of the book left when he does this. There's plenty of terrorists left in the building, so yeah, Joe Leland just kind of wanders through the building, just assassinating all of these terrorists, at times just gangland style, back of the head. It's fairly brutal. A lot of these terrorists, by the way, are women. Yeah, there's a scene in the in the book where he shoots a woman in the face like eight times. It's insane. Also, Leland possibly does not survive the film. Oh yeah, you remember that scene in the movie where Carl is so upset because John McClane has killed his brother and he's fighting him in that big scene until eventually John McClane like hangs him with a chain? Well, that happens in the book. And the whole scene where you kind of think they would add it for a movie where like, uh, McLean and his wife, Holly, come out of the building and they see Al Powell and he's there. And Al Powell is in the book too. He's described as being younger and leaner, but anyway. So they see Al Powell and they hug and all of a sudden there's a scream, ah, I'm going to kill you, McLean. And uh, Carl pops up out of nowhere with a machine gun and uh, Al Powell regains the nerve that he lost from having accidentally shot a kid uh, who's carrying a ray gun. Yeah, which that's a scene that I feel like doesn't play as well now. Well, that happens in the book, but there is a distinctly uh, different thing that happens. So you may also remember in that same scene where Carl comes out with a machine gun, but it's like just after Deputy Chief Dwayne T. Robinson comes out and he's like, now listen, McLean, I'm going to throw you in prison. Well, that happens in the book as well. Deputy Chief Twain T. Robinson is like, listen, Joe Leland, you had no right. You you made this situation much more violent than it necessarily needed to be. And and also the book kind of suggests that Dwayne T. Robinson might actually be right about that because Joe Leland's response to the terrorist is actually somewhat disproportionate because, you know, the PTSD guy carries a gun on a plane because he's afraid of terrorism. They kind of set all that up. Anyway, Dwayne T. Robinson comes out of nowhere and he's like, I'm going to put you in jail. And then Carl appears out of nowhere with a machine gun. Only here, this part's different. Now, instead of Al Powell just shooting Carl dead instead Carl like wastes a bunch of innocent people and Al Powell grabs Dwayne T Robinson uses him as a human shield and pulls him in front of Carl's bullets until he's very dead then he shoots Carl and McLean or Leland in the book sees him do this and it's like you uh, what did you? What did you just? And Powell looks at our hero and's like, "Oh, looks like Deputy Chief Dwayne T. Robinson died a hero. Isn't it heroic? The way he jumped in front of those bullets and saved your life." Yeah, so that changed. At any rate, as I mentioned, they were contractually obligated to ask Sinatra, and then they asked Robert Mitchum, who thought he was much too old to uh, be climbing around in air ducts. Fair enough. They asked Clint Eastwood, who didn't get it. Stallone, he was busy. Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger actually was attached, I think, for a little while longer, and the idea was to change the script and make it Commando 2. So now they would have uh, the Alyssa Milano character, who is his daughter in Commando 1, now a little older, now working for... Basically, it would have been the same thing, except instead of it being Holly, it would have been Alyssa Milano from Commando, but ended up... He couldn't do it for the same reason that Paul Verhoeven couldn't direct the movie as they had initially wanted. 
uh, because both of them were making the movie Total Recall. And no argument there, Total Recall is awesome. So it was around here that somebody, I always heard it was Joel Silver, but arguments go to other places, suggested maybe Bruce Willis. Now, Bruce Willis was a bit of a long shot. In fact, nobody was thinking of him in this role. In fact, if everybody hadn't turned it down, they never would have thought of him. Bruce Willis, who is a pitchman for Seagram's Golden Wine Cooler, star of romantic comedy series Moonlighting, which was more or less regarded in this first season as a show that was for it was really Sybil Shepard's show. Bruce Willis just w- ended up walking off with that show, and Joel Silver's argument was this guy will eventually be a movie star. But the argument to that was, but he's already made two movies, Blind Date and Sunset, and those did not do well at all. And no offense to Blake Edwards, the late Blake Edwards, but yeah, those movies aren't very good. But Silverhand waved it away, saying, look, he is a relatable person. Audiences love him. The ladies love him. Let's put him in this movie. And Bruce Willis wanted it. He really wanted to, like, kind of... I mean, of course he wanted it. He knew what this role would do for him but he had moonlighting commitments and he couldn't make their schedule so that was that and then simple shepherd got pregnant freeing him up entirely he would go on to uh thank her i believe at the emmys and so bruce willis did die hard and became a movie star and in a way it's all thanks to first deadly sin which actually not just because uh, Frank Sinatra turned it down, but First Deadly Sin is also the screen debut of Bruce Willis. He's just an extra. You wouldn't know it was him unless you knew it was him, but yes, you can spot him as Frank Sinatra is leaving a bar, Bruce Willis is entering it. He's got his hat down, pulled down over his face, but it's definitely him. <laughs> And that's it for this episode. Don't worry, Dottie made it to her home planet for Life Day. And by the way, that's Life Day spelled with three A's legally, I can continue. Next time, we'll conclude our interview with Christopher Chen and bring you another shark movie, because we just have so many. All loops during the first Deadly Die Hard segment are from Looperman. All material from other film and TV sources is used under fair use. Ten Minutes About Your Favorite Movie was originally produced and edited by Matt Haig and co-produced by Justin Schober with littlepodcast.com. The theme music for Ten Minutes is You Can't Dodge a Laser by Technoaxe. Hey, check out the little podcast show Born in the 80s. Special thanks to our special guests, uh, Joe Wiener, Jen Wiener, Buck Hakes, and Melissa Mapes. Extra, extra special thanks to Barrett Evans and Michael Kedor from Mill Creek Entertainment for making this happen. The Knife Drop is sponsored by the Movie Spree streaming service. (laughs) ¶¶